is Work of the Beat. It is Tuesday, July 27, 2021. I'm Kevin Cooney. Thanks for joining us. Mike Kern will be along in a few minutes. This is the definition of a jam-packed show, one that we had a couple weeks worth of stuff we could build up to, so we uh, kind of all scrunched it together here and hopefully um, good listening, hour 25, hour 30. So um, sit back, get comfortable. If you're in your car, don't get too comfortable. Um, but we're going to talk Philly's trade deadline uh, with Bob Brookover. Uh, formally, well, I guess still technically of the Philadelphia Inquirer. Uh, Brookie will join us in a little bit to discuss what's going on with the Phils. What's going on with him? Um, called it a career the other day. It was a pleasure to work press boxes with him. And now uh, Bob, uh, Bob will join the Phillies beat writer alumni crew that some of us have uh, joined uh, after uh, taking the buyout from the inquiry. So we'll talk to Brookie at one point. Mike and I will talk about Ben Simmons, the start of Eagles training camp. Yawn. Deshaun Watson, I'm sure, will come up. And then we're going to have our first guest ever from a foreign country, uh, Matt DeGeorge uh, from the Delco Times. No, Delco is not a foreign country. Uh, but Matt is over in Tokyo, covering the Tokyo Olympics for Swimmers World uh, magazine. Him, John Lone, who was a longtime writer at the Delco Times as well. They're covering the swimming events, but I wanted to bring him on to talk about kind of the atmosphere in Tokyo, what's going on with the American swimmers who have been up and down um, so far in this meet. And obviously, you know, he's getting it. We're doing this now. It's as I'm recording this, 6.51 Eastern time on Tuesday. It is 7.52 uh, 13 hours. No, not just one minute because the clock flipped while I was talking. Um, ahead. So it is uh, early Wednesday morning, midway through really the swim meet. That is the Tokyo Olympics. We'll talk about the atmosphere. We'll talk about a little about the swimming. Simone Biles case, obviously the biggest story of the day. Her dropping out of the team competition, um, which highlights the mental strain that these athletes are under especially in that bubble. So let me, uh, let me before we get to Bob, uh, I wanted to um, want to apologize. I, we haven't had one in a couple of weeks. And part of the reason for that was uh, uh, the circumstances beyond my control. I mean, we, those of you who knew about the rainstorm a couple of weeks ago here in Philly and in Bristol and Bucks County know that there was some flooding. I had a little bit of flooding in my basement and in garage mainly, but um, garage and laundry room. So that took up a lot of my time. So that's why we haven't had you know, the, the cleaning up process and all that. Everything with the house is fine and everybody is safe and that's all that mattered. And there's no real damage. It was just getting water out of here and, you know, stuff that was, um, you know, in the garage that really you had to clean out, it cleaned out. So that was what happened. And so that was part of it. And to be honest, you know, look, we've done this for three years plus, and um, it sometimes you need a a, a, a step away. And I needed a, a week to kind of catch my breath. I was doing a lot of AP stuff for the Phillies um, this past weekend. Uh, Mike had been away with his schedule as well. And so um, 
I just figured it was a good time to reset. Now that I say that, um, we're going to be in our once a week pattern, I believe, for the rest of August. And then obviously when we get into football, we'll probably gear back up to, as we normally do to twice a week. One of the things that we're looking forward to, uh, and I haven't set a date yet with uh, Paul Hagen, uh, down at Chaps uh, Pit Beef down in Delco, he has asked us to come out to the show and do a show from there. And so I would hope that one day in the not-too-distant future, by next week, I will have a schedule set where we can announce our first live show at Chaps and record it. Um, you know, where you can come out, have Pippi sandwich. Hopefully you can, you know, we'll talk sports balls, hang around. We'll talk on here. Maybe I'll get a guest to be able to come down. I don't know. Uh, but we want to make sure that we have a, um, want to make sure we have a good time. So I will have an announcement on that. If not next week, then the week after. So that is everything going on pretty much at this point with this show. And again, I apologize. I know you guys have gotten to expect it every week. Uh, just life got in the way. Um, and by the way, if you would like to advertise on this, <laughs> please reach out to me as well on Twitter because, uh, you know, advertising is what helps keep us going. And, uh, you know, it's nice to do it and we all have fun, but, you know, there are expenses that have to be covered uh, for all of us here. So when we return... This is where your ad would be, by the way. When we return, it's Bob Brookover talking Phillies, talking the end of his newspaper career, and what's next. That's coming up as Work at the Beat continues right after these messages. Well, over the course of the last 40 years, this man has covered just about everything except the Sixers, he pointed out as today on Mike Cincinnati. He was the Flyers beat guy who covered the 87 finals in Edmonton. He covered the Eagles in the T.O. era and the McNabb era. But mainly you know him from his years covering baseball, both for the Camden Courier Post, the Delco Times, and then eventually at the Philadelphia Inquirer where he became a general sports columnist, the national uh, baseball writer, and, of course, the Phillies beat writer. He retired Well, he... He has stepped away. I don't think retired is the right term because I think he's going to try to be active in, you know, for the rest of his days, if you will. Um, on Sunday was his last column. Uh, he has now joined the Phillies Beat Writers Alumni Association. And so it is an honor to be, bring Bob Brooke over onto the Working to Beat podcast. Bob, how are you? Hey, Kevin. I've also joined the Mike Kern, accepted the buyout. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's not as exclusive a club look, anymore, look, is it? Look at it this way, Bob. There's nobody left. Or, or let's put it this way. Soon there will be nobody left. Just uh, about. We're, um, we're, pretty, we're pretty close. And pretty close. <laughs> I still remember a few years ago when we covered that golf tournament out at uh, 
Philly cricket. Um, right. And we had a good we had a good few days together. I remember you finally talking about your ride home to the Jersey Shore, and I can only imagine that the one good thing that might come out of this, and I hope you find something to do and keep you busy because that's important, but is that you'll get to enjoy more of the Jersey Shore. I am definitely looking forward to that. There's no doubt about it. So what is was there a good, Is there a good sunset tonight? Uh, it looks like it's going to be a good sunset, but I don't think yeah. I'm going to get to it tonight. Well, so there are many good sunsets. So what was that ride home like Sunday night? After you've, you've sent your final one in, and you were one of the last people in the press box, at least when I left. Um, what was that ride home like? Um, it, it was strange. It's strange to know uh, anytime, anytime you leave something. It was kind of the second time I left the Phillies, and I, I remember the first time I left the Phillies was in 2003. Um, I covered a game in Cincinnati, um, walked across that bridge that you know, well know that goes into Covington, Kentucky. <laughs> That was that was a strange feeling, but this was even this was even stranger. And you know, the really funny thing is, I, I've learned that when you say goodbye, a lot of people want to say hello. And <laughs> the last the last 40, 48 hours have been insane. Just the uh, outpouring of uh, kind words I've received from from so many people I've encountered over the years is you know it it, it ranges from. Kids I grew up with at eight years old I hadn't really heard from very much to coworkers at the Courier Post, coworkers at the at the uh, Delco Times, obviously coworkers at the Inquirer, people I competed against, people I became friends with from other cities, and it's just been you know it, it's just been unbelievable how much I've heard from people. Mike, well, you know it's it's all about as they say. I remember John Cheney used to put it this way. He said, it's all about the faces, meaning the memories. But it's funny, Bob, over 40 years, and I put in about as much time as you did before I left, uh, you do. It, it, and you start thinking about things that maybe you hadn't even thought about in a while. But think of all the people that you touched in 40 years and people that touched you in 40 years. And those things you – know, I had a friend of mine who's really – he's very, very successful – um, attorney and stuff, and, and he's got two houses down the shore. And he said to me once, he goes, I envy you. And I'm like, well, what the hell are you talking about? He goes, you've covered 25 masters. You've, you've covered this. You've covered that. You've covered." And I thought about it, and I'm like, we're pretty lucky. So you're a pretty lucky dude. Oh, yeah. I, I saw quite a bit over the course of my my career. There's no, there's no doubt about it. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a career that takes you places and, and – as I, as I said earlier today uh, on, a, on a different show, um, you know, Miss It's Miss Anelli, yeah. <laughs> you can say Miss Anelli. Mikey Miss. I, you know, whoever would have thought I'd be covering the Phillies and, and all of a sudden I'm in the middle of covering a ride. And then the addendum to that is it, it helps me get a job at the Inquirer down the road because I covered it with, a, with Tim Dwyer, who later became the sports editor. I mean, the, my entire career is an accident because it really, it started in the summer of 1982 after my freshman year at Glassboro State. I was simply asked, I, I had a little bit of ability to play softball or baseball, and Bob Kenny was the sports editor, and he had, and Bob Kenny had a softball team, and he asked me if I wanted to play, he asked me and several of my friends, we had played baseball together, if we wanted to be on his career post softball team. And we did. And at the end of that 
softball season, like early August, he said, hey, we're, we're, we're hiring some people to answer phones and take scores in the office, uh, which our home field was kind of across the street at Camden Catholic from, from uh, the Courier Post. Uh, I said, yeah, that sounds good. I, I, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. And, and now it's the only thing I know how to do. <laughs> so hopefully, I, hopefully my skills translate to something else. Bob, I think in a lot of ways, all of our stories – whether it's Kevin's, mine, yours, it, it, like how did it happen? Like I think back on that all the time, how I even got the job at the Daily News was very, um, you know, circular or whatever. Um, it, it, it's just, you know, it, it's just weird. And then how I got the job doing what I was doing. I think we all, almost all of us, when we look back after a certain amount of time, go, how the hell did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, but it did. And you, and you were very, very – Good at what you did. Yeah. But I'd, I'd like to think some, I'd like to think I had some responsibility for it because my, my in-between stop was Delco times and, and Bob Tennant was the person who hired me there. And Bob had, you know, we had become good friends working together to Curry post, but he also had appreciated my work. So that was, uh, that, that was a nice part of it. All right. I got to Before I go into the active baseball, what's going on, I got to ask, what was more interesting to cover, the 93 Phillies or the 04 Eagles? Oh, whew, that's a great question. Oh. Um, they, they were they were very different. Um, you know, because you had the whole team and, and you had the T.O. circus the year after. The 93 Phillies, it, it's a little bit of a myth that they came out of nowhere. Uh, but they had been a last place team the year before, uh, you know, a lot of people like to say they, they you know, oh, everybody pick, you know, Larry Boa, who I love, likes to tell people, well, everybody picks that, picked this to finish last that year. But that wasn't necessarily true. And it really wasn't true by the end of spring training because you could tell, you could tell by the end of spring training that that was a team that had, had that thing, the it thing, chemistry wise. And then if you couldn't, if you hadn't been able to tell uh, during spring training, 10 games into the season, you knew. I remember a great story, a great story early in that season. The, the Phillies started like 20 and five, I think. And I remember hearing somebody say, uh, Larry Walker was up in Montreal looking at the scoreboard and he pointed to somebody and said, Oh my God, they're winning again. <laughs> <laughs> but so that was, you know, so that was, it, it didn't come out of nowhere, but it was a, it was a crazy team with some crazy players with real characters. Uh, whereas the 04 team, you know, they were they were supposed to win. It, this, this was their time to win. And to me, the, the two most memorable days of that season were before the season started in training camp when 33,000 people poured into Lehigh. the campus of Lehigh University. You couldn't find a place to park. Uh you know, you, if, you, if you didn't get there early, you were in real trouble trying to cover the team that day. Um, and then the, the game they played in Dallas um, where on Monday Night Football, and the intro is, uh, what was the show? Nicole, was, Nicolette, uh, Desperate Housewives, Nicolette Sheridan. Housewives, yeah. And T.O. makes an appearance. And then when the game ends, the Eagles have blown them out. T.O.'s walking off the field and there's 15 to 20,000 Eagles fans chanting T.O., T.O., T.O. It was, 
it was nothing quite like that I ever saw. So, and and just for the record, so those two teams both lost in the championship. That's true. Uh, in my forty years, in my forty years of covering teams, I never covered a championship team. I was at, I did cover. I w- I was at the 08 Phillies winning the World Series, right? But only only as a fan, and I did <laughs> and I did cover the Eagles Patriots. Uh, Super Bowl Fifty Two, but I my job that day was to write about how incredible Tom Brady was in defeat. <laughs> they must have known that you know put the jinx on <laughs> New England. Somebody in your desk. Right, I suspect the Phillies will somewhere somewhere along the line will win two or three World Series now that I'm out of the way. Uh, let me get to the trade deadline, and obviously there's a move that's sounds like it's going to be done. There's some haggling over uh, physicals as we're recording this. Tyler Anderson uh, from the Pirates coming in. Basically, is this just to replace Vince Velasquez in the rotation at this point? It's to replace somebody, him or Matt Moore, because, you know, if you look at one thing Anderson has done is he's he's got thrown 103 innings this year. Uh, You're you're obviously not getting a Cy Young Award winner here. You're getting length. a A guy who's thrown 103 innings, has pretty good value in it. You know, a four three five ERA is not is not horrible in this day and age. It's not you know what you want, but but if that's your fifth starter who eats eats some innings for you and can get you through the fifth and sixth innings that you had, they haven't been able to get through. Uh, I I think that's pretty important in, in that terms. But as far as moving the needle to where to trying to win the division, I don't know how much it does that. So will there be anything happening before Friday that will move the needle? Um, I got to think so. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's still talk about them getting Rodriguez from the pirates a reliever from the pirates. Um, it, you know, it, it, it's, it's too bad because I think a move that could really help them is if they could get a bonafide, a Craig Kimbrell type. And I don't know if you can do it now because it might be too late in the season and put Ranger Suarez in that rotation. If you could put him in that rotation and, and, you know, and that's assuming that the Aaron Nola we saw on Sunday is going to be, uh, you know, somewhere close to the Aaron Nola we saw for the, you know, we can see for the rest of the season. He's obviously not going to be that every game, but something close to that. And then Zach Eflin comes back and he's okay. You know, they just – they need to be a deeper in that rotation and they need to be – but, you know, if you take Suarez out of that bullpen, you better have somebody big coming in to, to really fill that spot. Bob Brookover, formerly of the Inquirer, uh, actually still with the Inquirer technically. I think he said five weeks. I'm yes. officially Inquirer on vacation for five weeks. Five weeks. Uh, that's, not a bad, that's not a bad deal. No, I, I like the way I set it up. It, but it's very weird to be – on a five-week vacation, that's something I would have never ever done. With, with a with By a way, with a forty-seven-week vacation at the end of it, <laughs> with the with the uh, right. right. Um, not to break this up, but the Washingtons are up three nothing in the first inning. Okay, okay, yeah. I just thought I just thought. No, I understand. Uh, live game reports that probably don't work as well on a podcast. <laughs> so, um, I mentioned this brookie in uh, something I did for Philly Voice the other day. I, I look. I don't think they can make a move that tilts the needle. And you got to go for it. You know, I get it. You have to make some moves. I don't think there's a move out there that, that tilts the division one way or another for them. You know, there are four games back in the loss column. Um, 
no matter what. Uh, I, I think that eventually they probably run out of steam. But I think what has to happen here is you got to learn something about this team in the next two months, don't you? Uh, you know, Dave Dombrowski didn't really have a normal offseason last year, uh, you know, with the COVID stuff going on and kind of got in late. Uh, how much of these two months set everything up for the rest of the Dombrowski era here? Yeah, I, I think you're, you're right, Kevin. It's very important in that respect because any move that, that Dombrowski made uh, in, in the short time he had between being hired and the start of the season, it had to be predicated quite a bit on what he was hearing from the people who were already here, um, you know. And the and if you think about those decisions, you know, he signed Matt Moore, he signed Chase Anderson. Neither one of those things have worked out very well. He he kept Vince Velasquez. You got rid of Nick Pavetta and uh, Cole Irvin, yeah. and those, those moves don't look so great either. Um, how much we can say, oh well, Dave Dombrowski doesn't know what he's doing because he made those moves. I don't. I don't know that you can say that very much. Um, you know, I, I one of the last really uh, investigative things I did before I was done was to look at Dave Dombrowski's deadline trade history, and it's pretty remarkable how often he won to the point where like if I was an opposing general manager, I'd be really, really leery about even dealing with the guy because he won so often at, at what he did, you know, getting, getting the Steve Pierce at the, wasn't right at the deadline, but you know, games of world series MVP. Right. Even if you look at what he gave up, it wasn't a lot. So I don't know what he's going to be able to do at this trade deadline. And I don't know how much conviction he has, with this team, you know, obviously he's going to say he's in as a buyer and he's going to be a buyer, but how much he's willing to give up, I, I don't I don't know. I do know, you know, he actually just flat out said to me at one point, uh, we're, we're not giving up a Mick Abel right now, and I got to think of Bryson Stott fits in that category too. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think Dave Dombrowski is going to be watching very carefully for the next two months, to your point, uh, to see a, a lot of things that he's got to find out. Uh, you know, in, uh, another move that I'm not sure how much he was influenced by others was giving um, Didi to Didi Gregorius two years instead of one, or going just in a different direction there, because that kind of that's a move that handcuffs them a little bit going forward in terms of cash. Okay, well, yeah, cash and position. Right, cash and position could you know is Brazen's stock going to be close to being ready before this season is over? Maybe. I mean, he's a college kid. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of weird things that have happened here. You know, I don't think Alec Bohm's season is what these guys expected by any stretch of the imagination, and that that complicates things. I mean, I was talking to somebody at the ballpark the other day, and we were debating whether, you know, would you would you trade Alec Bohm right now? And you know, that person said, "Oh, I would definitely right now because of his defense." And and to me, even more than the defense, the thing that's disappointing has been his power. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, but I'm not of the belief I would trade him because I just think he's a – I think he's a guy that will figure it out and that the power the power will come. But I could be wrong, but that, that's that's where I'm at on him right now. Hey, Bobby, what – speaking of things and, and trying to see the rest of the year, but also looking beyond this year, what are we to make of Howard? Uh, because I know we, we knew coming into the year that he was going to have to be used – you know, not a lot because they had to watch. 
but it's really getting to the point now where you can almost predict it. It's two two innings of really good, or maybe three, and then all of a sudden, you know, the velocity goes. But I mean, is this a long term problem, or is this just something that he has to kind of work himself through so that maybe next year and the year after he can be the kind of pitcher they thought he could be? Well, this is one of the things that that, that worries me about the organization. Period. Uh, it, it pertains to Howard. Is that how well are they developing players? It's something it's really hard to quantify because you know we don't see the development of players. Uh, you know we see who gets picked, and you can say, "Oh, he that was a good pick or a bad pick." You know, and and it, it, to me, it becomes even a bigger question when you see somebody like a Pavetta. Now, I'm not sure Nick Pavetta will be able to keep it up, and he's still had shaky moments here. But even more so, Cole Irvin go to the to Oakland, who who you know has done well at developing players over the years, uh, and all of a sudden has this breakout season with the A's. Are the Phillies doing a good enough job developing their players? Uh, and and to to Kevin's point from a minute ago, I, I'm curious and really really uh, eager to see how Dave Dombrowski feels about that part and evaluates that part of this organization going forward. And so back to your question about Howard, I'm wondering if he's been developed well. Um, And, uh, you know, he's, he's mind boggling. It's mind boggling that he loses velocity after four innings. Is is he, is he a uh, victim of the 21st century, particularly this current era, era of baseball where, Oh well, we're gonna just coddle them. Can't throw too many pitches. Oh, can't go more than five innings in the minor leagues, and, and then you get to the big leagues, and that's what you are. You know, you are what you've been developed to be. By the way, I'm not sure if uh, I, you know, I just scolded Kern for breaking news. Trey Turner has been pulled out of the game in Philly the night for the Nationals. Yeah, there was talk that they were going to trade him, Kevin. Yeah, and that's always one of those alarm bell moments for every baseball writer. This week in particular. Oh, yeah. Um, always always pins and needles this week. <laughs> hug watch, as we used to hashtag it. Um, you mentioned about Dombrowski and looking at the organization and all that. I, I'm fascinated because, look, they're on pace for a four-straight mediocre year. They're not awful, but they're not good. Um, and they've tried managers and changing managers between Kapler and Girardi, and that hasn't really given them a bump. And, yeah, they're, they're, you know, the easy thing is for people to pick on Joe Girardi. Well, Joe Girardi wasn't an idiot. You know, it tells you about the talent. But Joe Girardi's also going to be going into the last year of his contract next year. Are, are we to believe, you know, is it possible, Dave Dombrowski, if they fall short, look and talks to Joe Girardi and says, you know, do you want to stick around if we're going to end up moving pieces of your roster around or or – is it still too soon to think about that? I think it's still too soon to think about that. I, I know Dombrowski has a ton of respect for Girardi, um, you know, just from having conversations with him about it. Um, now, you know. Does, do you think Joe's happy, I guess, is the bottom line question right now in Philadelphia? And, and that, that's a question I would, I would, I would say I, I, I wasn't around the team enough Right. Um, to know whether he's happy. And even if I was, I don't know if I, from everybody I know who's ever covered Joe Girardi, 
Joe Girardi has a poker face 24 seven or at least, at least the hours he's at the ballpark, you know, his family and his closest dearest friends might know what he's thinking inside that head, but he does not, he does not allow that, you know, unlike other managers, I've many other managers I covered over the years, you really don't know what he thinks about guys. No. Uh, he, he does not share that. You know, some some guys would share it off the record. Uh, many guys would share it off the record, you know, but he just does not go there. Even harder to get in an error, a COVID error, which has been his two years where you're almost never around him anyway. So, I mean, it's it's really hard. I, I have a really hard time reading what he feels about this team and this organization. Well, and the reason I ask that is because people have talked about how his moves have been – shaky and again this isn't a dumb guy this is a guy who has a resume who who forget what he did with the yankees who was really good in that one year in miami as well and we also know what happened in miami was he got tired of kind of again well he got him and the owner yeah right um and that's why i asked that because there there are times it looks like joe looks like he's having you know root canal every night yeah, there is. Um, it's 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 just really hard to say. And some, but some of his moves have been really have been really baffling. And the one thing that has really surprised me about some of his moves is there there are times where it just seems like, you know, he is one of the analytic guys. You know, we we were we were he was billed as a guy who yes knew the analytics, but also you from know, the guys had an old school yeah. You know, about him uh i've seen more in in terms of the way he manages there have been a lot of similarities to the way gabe kapler managed the phillies i mean in terms of you know i'm, I'm gonna take this guy out he's thrown that many pitches uh i don't I, this is the, the the numbers say to do this with this guy you know and he he, he goes that route uh we, we've seen that so i mean he's definitely been heavily influenced by analytics over the course of his uh, tenure as a manager in the major leagues. Mike, uh, last uh, question from uh, – that was my last question. Go ahead, Mike. Uh, yeah, the consent, the talk show consensus, for whatever that's worth, and, and I listen as I drive around, seems to be the Mets suck. And we – the Phillies should be able to somehow figure out how to win the division. I'm like, okay, I'm with you. The Mets ain't all that, but neither are the Phillies. Uh, looking at it right now, the four games in the lost column, what odds would you give the Phillies of winning this division? And we don't know what might happen in the next couple of days with trades, but like you said, probably, you know, maybe not something that's going to move the needle too much. What do you think as somebody who's seen a half a season with this team? Do you think, and I'm not going to say can do it because obviously they can do it. Do you think they, they will do it? Uh, if I had to put a percentage on it, I'd say about a twenty percent chance. Uh, really, that low? Okay. That that, that that would grow to 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 forty if, it, like for instance, a Jacob Degrom's injury right so serious that he's just not in the rotation anymore. Uh, as you pointed out, we have to see what happens in these next in these next uh, few days, these next three days in terms of the trade deadline because somebody could could make a move so so big. Or the Mets could make a move too. The Mets are certainly in, in a position yeah. to, to to do that. Um, you know, much like the Phillies, they don't have a great farm system either. But 
hey, you know what, you get the right people on, on board to, to, to move their biggest pieces. And, and who knows, they certainly have the, with their new ownership, they certainly have the wherewithal to do it financially. Bob Brooker uh, from the Philadelphia Inquirer. Bob, I, I should ask you one more final question. Was there ever an event you didn't cover that you wanted to? Um, <laughs> in fact, I was talking with my wife about this the other day. The one thing I wish I had covered somewhere, you know, it wouldn't have been this year's, but I wish I had gotten to cover an Olympics somewhere along the line. Um, and there, there are two. The Olympics would be one of them. You know, all those years, a lot of years I saw my saw colleagues go to Australia. Uh, Hagen uh, went to Greece. Yeah. China, Greece. Yes. I, you know, I would have loved to have done that. Although I will say this. Uh, I know a lot of people who, who wish they covered the Olympics and did and who came back and said, oh, my God, the amount of work is just staggering. Yeah. Including one of my favorite Phil Anastasia stories of all time is he covered, and this was in Atlanta, he covered the Atlanta Olympics and didn't file his expenses for a while and got a little note. And he said, I was just trying to forget that part of my life. <laughs> 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 And when you're in a place like the Courier, you know, everything is on you. Yeah. You know, it's not stop. at least the inquiry, there's bureaus. There were night Ritter bureaus. So that was that was one thing. The, the other thing, I'm jealous of Kern uh, covering Masters and Opens, British Opens. It's not know, a bad gig, Bob. And British Opens. You know, I I, 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 loved, I loved John Quinn, but I, I said to John Quinn after the, the U.S. Open was at, um, at Marion, He's like John, you know, I told you I really would have liked to cover that, and he's like, "Oh, I forgot." And, <laughs> uh, all a, right, that's, oh, that's that's fine, but yeah, they, they sent your whole staff was there. I mean, I they couldn't have found room for you. I couldn't make the cut. They didn't make the cut. That's that's all right. Those are those are things. That, like the only two golf pro golf I ever covered was that that cricket Philadelphia. That was the senior senior year, senior, right? Senior year. So that was great to cover. Bernard Langer was. You know, to me, Bernard Langer is the Jack Nichols slash Tiger Woods of senior golf. Yes, <laughs> sure. Um, and and then I got to cover the the U.S. Women's Open in Lancaster, which I also really yeah. one of my favorite days doing this job was walking eighteen holes with um and trying the British uh, woman. Oh, Laura Davies. Laura Davies, thank you. Oh, Laura. she's she's one of the best. She's for eighteen holes, and she was a great interview. Oh. She was just a great interview. But watching her do that thing she does with her tee, she you right. know she doesn't use the tee. She she puts the grass up and she she hits Hounds the ball. She played, she's played. She was fifty two at the time. She yeah. played spectacular that that day, and she was great to interview after a while. So I really yeah. like the, the limited time I covered golf. I really enjoyed it. Uh, so I wish I had covered more. Well, Bob, I'm going to make you feel bad because I only covered. I think uh, first couple days at Lancaster because I was headed to the British Open. Okay. The British Open was starting, I guess, that well, obviously I, I flew over. But the, the great thing was with the Daily News dead, deadlines, I had like 30 hours to write a story because, you know, we were so far ahead over there. Right. Um, it was awesome. You know, right. yeah, you just um, – but, yeah, it was – golf. me and Joe Giuliano had so much fun. And it was work. I mean, you know, as everything is, but man, it was, it was the best. I still say it's the best beat I, I did, but 
then again, that's me. Bob, uh, I can't wait to uh, get together, have a beer with you. Uh, at some or point, we're, or to uh, somewhere not involving a ballpark or a road trip. So, uh, and by the way, I should say, I got to Paul Hagen's Cooperstown ceremony because Bob set me up with a hotel that wasn't ridiculously far from Cooperstown. Thank there you. There you go. <laughs> well, I'm glad you got to go because that was a great weekend. That, that was a great weekend. Hey, enjoy those sunsets down there, pal. Yeah. I will, Michael. Be good, Bob. Bob Brookover of the Inquirer. And we'll be back with Matt DeGeorge right after this. Obviously, the Tokyo Olympics are going on. And so one of the things that I wanted to do here was try to touch base with a local writer who um, went over uh, in this. In this COVID era, it was tough to, to because the inquiry didn't go. A lot of outlets didn't go. One person that did go, though, was Matt DeGeorge. And if you are familiar with the Delco Times, Matt is a they're one of their lead high school beat writers on a lot of sports, basketball, football. He also covers a ton of swimming. He also covers the Philadelphia Union. He's the Union beat writer, so you probably know his name from there. Uh, but Matt is over in Tokyo right now with uh, John Lone, who used to be at the Delco Times, um, covering the swimming events for uh, Swimmers World magazine. And so, uh, Matt, uh, obviously, with the time difference, it was trying to juggle everything together. But we managed to get it done. This is our conversation from middle of Tuesday night, early Wednesday morning in Tokyo with Matt the George here on Working the Beat. This is the first time we've ever had a guest who is from outside the United States. And again, I don't mean Delco. Uh, Matt DeGeorge, most of you know from this area, he covers the Philadelphia Union, uh, which we don't talk a lot about on this show. And, yeah, there's a there's a debate why we don't, and we're not going to get into that. Um, we also Matt also covers a lot of high school stuff and everything, but he is over in Tokyo right now covering the swimming events at the Summer Olympics. In fact, he's at the Tokyo Aquatic Center as we speak. Um, in fact, uh, what's that music in the background there, Matt? This is Matt DeGeorge. I, I, I have no idea, but it's been the same song for about uh, five days. <laughs> it's, it's, driving me, it's driving me a little bit nuts. It's the, it's, you know, it has to fill in for the atmosphere because this is a... This is a beautiful arena, but it is a big empty arena right now. So uh, it's either this or I think the Russians got some air horns in. So it's kind of pick your poison. <laughs> Techno or Russian air horns. So Matt DeGeorge from the Delco Times, who's there for Swimmers World, we should point out. Uh, not for Delco. They haven't busted the budget yet. Um, so, all right, Matt, let me ask the first question. This is your first Olympics, correct? It is, Yes. Okay, so you got the Olympics where nobody is at in the middle of a pandemic. Is this yep. everything you dreamed about when you pictured going to an Olympic Games? I mean, so a lot of it is there's been there's been so many moments uh, where you think to yourself, if there were fans here, what would this be like? Uh, I think through five days, we've only had one world record, um, and that was the Australian women's 400 freestyle relay. So if they had, the Aussies would have shipped a lot of fans here. So that would have been a scene, uh, night one, 
in the women's 400 IM, Yui Ohashi of Japan wins the gold medal. Um, that would have been an absolutely electric atmosphere in here if there were fans. So. Well, and the Ledecky race probably against uh, Titius. Yeah, is it her Titmus. name? Titmus? Yeah. yeah. Ar- Ariane Titmus. Uh, that was a great race. There's been a couple of those. The uh, More so on the women's side so far. I think that's going to balance a little bit when we get into the men's sprints. But uh, the women's 100 back was an excellent race. The women's 100 breast where Lydia Jacoby, who's a 17-year-old from Alaska, comes back and beats Lily King. Some of those moments are moments where you think, man, this would be, you really feel the fans missing. Um, it's been certainly weird with all the protocols and stuff like that. It's a lot like covering pro sports last year. You know, you got to do certain things in order to be safe and keep everyone safe. And that's just the price of, of what we're doing here. And it's Luckily, it's given a lot of athletes a chance to, to compete and, and represent their countries. And at the end of the day, that's kind of what it's about. So it's been, it's been weird, but it's, it's still been fun. It's still been great. Mike, Mike, Mike and I are going to talk about the atmosphere. Go ahead, Mike. I'm sure. Go ahead. Well, I, there's been it's so far, and I know it's, it's early. There's been a lot of things that have happened that were sort of unexpected. You know, even, like Simone Biles pulling out and citing what she cited. We've seen some upsets, some teams that were supposed to win, you know, the U.S. losing to France in basketball. And I've seen a lot of people trying to attribute this to the fact that this is a weird Olympics and the atmosphere and all that. Do you think that contributes to maybe it being a little, not just different in atmosphere, but different in maybe some of the results that we're going to see? I think it might a little bit, but I also think part of, I think the bigger part of that is the fact that everything's been different for the last year. So you're going to see inconsistency in results. You're going to see, you know, for sports like swimming, you're going to see inconsistency in training of where, you know, who was able to access pools and things like that. Um, I think the, I think the Biles thing stands apart a little bit, just in the way that she stands apart as a caliber of athlete from, you know, 99.99% 99.99% of all other athletes. Uh, but I, I think that may contribute to it a little bit. But I also, uh, you know, I think in a, a lot of these types of venues, you're going to have fans pulling for the underdog. So I don't know that that necessarily helps the favorite to have the empty. I think it might actually help the favorite to have the empty arena sometimes. Um, but yeah, there are. You know, there's just so many things that these athletes have to get right. Their tests, not just in addition to what their training is all the time, but in the testing, making sure you're in the right places, you're waiting for transportation here. Um, One of the big things about the way the games are this year is that everything's really circumscribed. You have to be on certain buses. There's not a lot of wandering around. Um, you're, You're only allowed to pretty much go to the venue, the transport, and your hotel, and that's about it. And it's the same for the athletes. So I think all of those all of those different factors probably weigh on athletes, and I imagine it's exhausting to do that and then to have to perform at something that's really difficult. I think that adds up, and it, it creates some room for error. Yeah. So the protocols for you are you are allowed to leave your hotel, right, for 15 minutes? To go to a convenience so, store is the way NBC explained it. Is that correct? Yes. We have some very limited freedom of movement. We are um, 
there is an app that we are required to download on our phones that we enter our uh, health tracking through uh, all of our we enter uh, symptoms daily we do a daily saliva uh, test and uh, that app is actually not an I don't believe it's an Olympic app I believe it's a you know Department ja- of State like of a Japan Japanese app. government app yeah that you that is used for a contract contact tracing purposes, communications, all that kind of stuff. It's how you get through immigration to get in and out of the country. Um, so many so many QR codes and different things. Um, so there's not a ton of there's not a ton of extraneous movements. Um, for people that are staying for the length of the games, that those restrictions ease after 14 days. Okay. I think after 14 days you then only have to test once every three days. Um, but for most journalists, you know, for me, I'm only going to be here for nine days. So I I never hit that point. Um, so it's just a lot of, a lot of testing, a lot of protocols, a lot of hand sanitizing and temp checks, but. And you're locked into, and you're locked into your, uh, your venue. You can't go to basketball or gymnastics or anything. If, even if you wanted to. Well, no. So we actually can, um, we have. Through Swimming World, because we've been doing this for years, we have a certain venue pass that allows us to get into all the venues. And um, as part of a crowd control thing, they have a venue booking system where 24 hours ahead of time, you can uh, apply for a spot at whatever it might be. Um, they're usually non-tabled media, so you might not have a press box seat. Right. But it's you know there's usually a seating area, and there's some flexibility to sit in certain designated areas because they are empty venues. So we are able to adventure a little bit. Um, that venue system doesn't apply for high demand events. So, um, like the hundred meters know, you wouldn't be allowed to do probably. Yeah. The, the track finals uh, are high demand events. The swimming finals are high demand events as is, I think the tennis medal rounds, um, and some of the basketball, right. and also there's one other. Um, gymnastics? Gymnastics is the other one. Thank you. Um, but other than that, we're kind of free to roam. So uh, the other day, let's see. The other day we were able to wander out to archery uh, to see some of that. I got to see the U.S. lose to Russia. Not not happy about that. Um, the other day was uh, water polo which the U.S. women's water polo team is excellent, two-time right. uh, reigning gold medalist. And I think today I think today I'm here with my editor from Swimming World, uh, and we're going to try and sneak out to uh, canoe slalom. I, I think today's the canoe and kayak uh, Ker- prelims. Kern's so a big canoe and- slalom fan, right? I'm all over I, I figured he was. Yeah. Later in the, later in the week is going to be fencing. We're going to try it. There's actually a kid from Delco who is uh, – a Strathaven grad who's in the uh, the men's epe, so we're going to try and sneak over there one day. So we have a little bit of downtime in the afternoon. Mike, hey, Doug, here's before I ask you the real Matt, question, Matt. What are you eating like over there? What is you know? Oh boy, because that's so, how I judge my trips. That's how I judge my trips too. And it was actually one of the things I was nervous about going into this. Because I was like, man, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna go over to the Olympics and just eat Aramark food all day, I'm not gonna be a happy camper. Um, as it turns out, we are mainly because of the way transportation is, and we have very little control over kind of where we're going. 
we're pretty much spending 16 hours at the venue. Like you, you leave your hotel in the morning and you don't get back to the night's over. You're not going to go, uh, there's, you're not going to go to the media transit center and then go to your hotel. It's a whole ordeal. So a lot of our eating has been, uh, a lot of convenience stores, a lot of convenience store food. Um, some of which is good. Some of which is adventurous. I'm working my way through chip flavors here. Um, some of it's very much lost in translation. Um, I'm trying to figure out what the uh, what the kind of exchange rate on you know gas station sushi in the U.S. I know that's a no go, but gas station sushi in Japan, I'm not sure yet. So we'll see. Um, but the but the media the the international press center does have some really good food. They've got good American food. They've got good Japanese food. So we were able to do that yesterday and get a little bit of a break from you know packaged packaged you know pb and j crustables here, okay so now for the real for the question the girl from alaska who won it was the first uh they had they said they have one olympic size pool in alaska and yes. the the celebration in her hometown which i'm sure for a lot it was unbelievable it was like you know could you just talk about her a little bit and and the fact that there's one olympic size pool in alaska yeah, so I actually had a chance to talk to Lydia Jacoby in May. She uh, she came up with a huge swim. Uh, she came up with a huge swim in May at a, a training event, at a prep event. That kind of, you know, she was always a talented junior swimmer. She's going to the University of Texas, which is one of the powerhouses. Uh, but she was never necessarily at this level. And she's very honest about saying, like, if the Olympics were last year, I wouldn't be here, much less, you know, they were actually – her and her parents were going to actually buy tickets and travel over from Alaska to watch the Olympics last summer. Um, but now she's here. So uh, what happened with her is that she, she, her swim club actually closed for about two months last year. She was out of the water and luckily her parents uh, rent an apartment that's about two hours away in Anchorage, which is where I believe the long course pool is. So they were basically shuttling back and forth every week or weekend or whatever to travel. Uh, it's actually a delightfully named swim club called Northern Light Swim Club. Um, so she was training there, and then she was kind of going back and forth and stuff like that. And she's had such an amazing rise. She really, really, truly came out of nowhere. A little bit came out of nowhere in that race yesterday. Everyone was looking at, at Lily King and Tatiana Schoonmaker of South Africa and she just blows by everybody on the outside, which was just a tremendous swim from her. And she's the first Olympic swimmer ever from Alaska. And to go from that to, to winning an Olympic medal is to winning an Olympic gold medal is just pretty unbelievable. That's been the best story of the games, to be honest, to this point, because look, Ledecky had a great swim the other night, but she got edged at the wire. The Americans losing both backstrokes, male and female was huge. If you're NBC, and if you're, I'm going to put you in NBC shoes right now. I mean, the ratings have been awful. Ooh, does that does that mean I get a raise? Yeah, you do. Yeah, well, you get, awesome. no, no, you get a raise cable bill. Um, so, oh, okay. Um, you have the Biles stuff tonight, which I'm sure is going to cast a shadow over them for the re- on gymnastics. You know, the American swim team has, I, I want to say, been sluggish to this point. Um, fair, fair to call it that. It's been okay. I think it's been better than expected, to be honest. And uh, I think, especially on the men's side, it's been better than expected. Okay, 
The American basketball team right now is bordering on a disaster. Um, it, it, it's not been great over there for the old red, white, and blue, has it? Not terribly. I, I think there's some... It's interesting because I think that there's some under-the-radar good stories. So, you know, Lydia Jacoby is, is I the think, best. a great story. Right. It's maybe not the most... Uh, not the most marketable, if it will. Like, you're not going to throw up a, pr- a promo that says, tune in to see Lydia Jacoby right. in a way that tune in to, say, Kate, to see Katie Ledecky kind of brings him in. And Ledecky still has a shot for a couple more golds here between yes, 1,500 and 200. in the 200 free final today, and I believe the 200 and the 1,500 this morning slash this tonight for you right. guys. Um, so she's got a big session coming up. Um, it's just interesting, especially on the men's side. There's really, there's a marketable star in Caleb Dressel who hasn't really swum yet and he's going to have a very busy back end of the program. Ryan Murphy is a very recognizable guy. And then after that, it kind of falls off the table on the men's side. There's still some good swims that have been turned in. Chase Kalish did great. Right. Kieran Smith was swimming really well. They still end up with the relay gold. Um, so it's an interesting it's an interesting inflection point on the men's side because you don't have Phelps, you don't have Lofty, you don't even have second tier, secondary recognizable stars like Anthony Irvin and uh, Nathan Adrian. So you don't have as much narrative there. Uh, I think on the women's side, there's a lot of really great swimmers that are right around that three to six places in a lot of these events. So you're not going to see a ton of golds right. from the U.S., but you're going to see a lot of quality swims. And, you know, there's swimmers that I think a lot of people don't necessarily know about. People might not know about how great Reagan Smith is or, you know, the story of Haley Flickener, who should be competing, should be pushing for the 200 fly gold. Um, so it's an interest. it's a different measure of, right. you know, what, what's buzzy for NBC versus I think how USA swimming is going to measure what success is in this game. And I guess, and I guess um, Matt, I was looking more at a total picture with the bile stuff and everything as well. So, yeah, I I mean, there's not, I don't know that there's a potential for a swimming name short of, you know, everyone knows Lily King. Everybody knows Katie Ledecky. I don't think there's another name shy of, uh, Ryan, uh, shy of Caleb Dressel that, from the American swimming, you're going to come out of this and be like, hey, this is the so-and-so Olympics. Right. You're not going to have that kind of top-line star. Um, but you are still going to have, I think, pretty good performances in the pool. It's just a different It's just a different measure. Last question, uh, and I know your interactions are limited, but when since you got there to now, we heard so much about the Japanese people who didn't want the Olympics. Have you been able to get any sense of how they feel about these games now five six day, five days in? Not really. I think the I think the reception I've gotten is obviously a selection bias because it's from the people that are volunteering at the games or working at the games, and every one of those people I've interacted with have been unfailingly wonderful. Have been helpful, polite, enthusiastic, happy to have us. Um, it's been really organized. Uh, under, you know, adverse conditions. So I think, uh, obviously, that's not a representative sample of Japan. Uh, in the same way that the protesters outside the um, outside the opening ceremonies is 
probably not a representative sample either. The, the reality exists somewhere in the middle of that. Um, so all I can say is that the Japanese people we've interacted with here at the venues and in transportation and all the people that have been involved have been nothing but wonderful and, and helpful. Um, I hope that the conditions in this country around COVID are going to start to ease at some point uh, in terms of just how much of the disease is here. I hope that what the IOC has done in terms of its controls, I hope they have uh, succeeded in keeping the Japanese people safe because that's the most important thing. You want to have an Olympics, that's great. But if you have an Olympics that makes people sick, then that's not great. So hopefully the IOC and the Olympics will do what it says it's going to do. I, I know how fraught that optimism can be. Yeah. Um, but so far, everything I've experienced has been has been wonderful from the people here and from a lot of people that are, it appears, happy to see us. Yeah. Mike, final thoughts? I just want them to get home in one piece and stay safe. And But don't eat that sushi. Uh, you know, from the from the gas station to get. Hey, last time we were in Olympics, all the, the, the couple of the men's swimmers were getting trouble at a gas station in Rio. So yeah. at least you're not gonna have to deal with that this time. Yeah, I, w- I would hope so. I I think that does. It certainly cuts down on the opportunities to be dumb if you can't leave the can't leave the village. So. How much mental Hopefully. stress? How much mental stress? Or you know, the, with the bio stuff that got brought up last night. How much mental stress do you think all these athletes are under kind of in the isolation that they're in? I think it changes from athlete to athlete. Some deal with it a little bit better than others. Some, I think, have had a lot of practice at this over the last year. Some, it's just a matter of, you know, how certain people are wired and how they respond to stress. Um, I think a lot of these teams here, I, I think the U.S. team is a pretty cohesive team generally. It has some clicks and it has some, you know, you have your groups, uh, but they do a good job. They have a training camp for pretty much two weeks uh, before the Olympics in Hawaii. So they were together for that. And that was, that itself was two weeks ago. I think they got into Japan probably around the 13th. So they've been together for a while now. And, you know, I think a lot of them are, are able to support each other. Um, I would hope that for 90% of the athletes, they come here knowing that they have accomplished their goals. You know, maybe that's not the case for Katie Ledecky. That's not the case for Lily King. That's not the case for, uh, you know, Reagan Smith. But other than that, I think most of the swimmers get here and are like, okay, I've I've done what I want to do. Now I can have fun and relax and perform. And so I think it varies from person to person. Simone Biles, obviously, when you call someone the greatest of all time and question whether or not gravity works on her, I think that exerts a certain pull in terms of pressure. Um, But mostly, you know, I think swimmers might be a little different in that they are used to a certain level of pain and used to a certain level of... uh, dedication that seems like it doesn't have an end to it right so there may be a little bit more hardened for that than some other athletes but you know i would i would hope that every athlete here understands that they have already accomplished so so much and that shy of shy of what ryan lockby did in a 
in a gas station in Rio, there's almost nothing you can do to tarnish that. So, well, you got Ben Johnson in Seoul, but that's a whole different story. <laughs> that's true. You've got the doping tests and all that. So, you know, so far that's been quiet. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, they're still, God knows they're taking as many bodily fluids as they can from everybody. That's so true. I'm sure the testing is going on at pace. Matt DeGeorge, normally the Delco Times, normally covering the Union and the Phillies and pretty much everything else back here right now working for swimmer swimming. Where can they find your stuff? You can find me at swimmingworld.com. We have a deluge of Olympic coverage happening. Um, all of the stuff, diving, water polo, if it happens in water, uh, we're going to cover it. Unless it's not the not the kayak and the canoe. That, no. That's only sw- that's swimming if there's an emergency. So we don't cover that. Stuff, <laughs> that's that's so. life vest world at yes. that point. Yes, that's, uh, that's swimming only if things have gone terribly wrong. Yes, uh, Matt will be back in the state soon. By the way, you missed the two hour thirty minute game on Sunday with Nola. I saw that, and it sounds like I missed another really good pitching performance by Ronald Torres. Oh, it was great. It was awesome. Only a matter of t- only a matter of time before you give him the seventh inning. He, so. he he's the new Otani. Uh so <laughs> anyway. He's he's Venez- he's Venezuelan. Is he from Venezuela? He's the Venezuelan Otani. He's the Venezuelan Otani. Matt, thanks go. a lot. Stay safe. Uh stay back here in the States in a couple weeks. Be good, thanks, man. Guys, I appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. To George, and we'll be back on working the beat right after this. both Bob Brookover and Matt the George for joining us one halfway around the world the other um just uh you know down the Jersey Shore it's a nice little combo for both of them huh I, I you could convince me to live down the shore if like the Jersey <laughs> taxes weren't you know astronomical roof, yeah that, but that's because you're far enough you're close enough that you're close enough but you're far enough away that it is a different existence. And I realize in the winter, it's not the same existence, but still, it, there's something to be said, you know, I'm, I, I'm always been a, a sure person. So, um, yeah, I, 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 Bob was telling me about it when, you know, we, we covered that golf tournament together and, and it sounded like, you know, other than the commute when he was had to come up here, but it sounded right. like a pretty good deal. It does sound like a good deal. I'm actually down the shore this weekend. Um, there you go. Yeah, going down with the wife uh, just to get away. Um, all right. Uh, actually, we're going to make Atlantic City our home base. Okay, because the the only thing I hate weekends down the shore. Well, we're going summer. we're going Saturday night. We're going Saturday. No, I we're doing. I, I get it, but yeah. I just I try to avoid. I try no. to avoid the. Um, no, we were I down there last week for a day trip to Ocean City and. We're going down tomorrow, actually. Right. Um, uh, I, yeah. Now, let me, uh, let me, before we get into some of the other topics I talked about earlier, and obviously it's a huge week. Um, you know, you had the NBA draft coming up on Thursday night. Um, you got Eagles training camp opening, um, which I think Mike and I both agree. A lot of other people find it way more interesting than we do. Um, you know, because I know Mike's anti warm up stuff anyway, you know. 
Well, this year, though, with, with the coach and the quarterback, although, you, you look, Kevin, you know and I know, you never find out anything because no. half the guys don't play. Right. Um, yeah, this year, I don't know how much the quarterback's going to play. I, there's only three games. Yeah. But it used to be that the, the starters basically only played in half of one game, usually yeah. the third game. So I don't know if that now becomes the second game. And you might want to see a little bit of what the coach is bringing to the equation. But basically, I don't need people tweeting me that Riker just made a catch, no. you know, next week. And that's what you're going to get. And, and, and well, you know. and the other storyline, obviously, is going to be the Deshaun Watson case and situation. And to be bluntly honest, I think a lot, or so much of it right now is just speculation that, that to – to get a read on what's going to happen there is ridiculous. And then there's the whole moral question of whether he should be here. And if I'm the Eagles, I'm holding on to those draft picks, and I'm not going to make a move for him right now because you don't know what's going to happen with him going forward. Well, Or yeah, if this but, is true, if you really can, want him. Right, but if Houston called you tomorrow, and which they're not going to, and, and obviously there's a lot to be resolved, that's my dog bark. I understand. Um, I didn't if, think it was you, but go ahead. But if Houston calls you tomorrow uh-huh. and says, we'll give you Deshaun Watson for those three picks. I'm just throwing that out. I'm not doing it. No, you're not doing it. But if you're the Eagles, you know, it's not like you just say you, you don't even take the phone call or you don't. And, and I get it. There's so many layers to this thing. I don't think personally anybody should do anything with Deshaun Watson before we find out what's going to happen, what the NFL might do, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But because he's 24 years old, and even if, God forbid, you had to go a season maybe of not a lot of Deshaun, he had – now, I, I would caution people that Houston won four games last year with him, having a pretty good season, but I guess the Eagles are better than Houston. Uh, and then you have to deal with the, the, the issue of if you bring here, you bring him here, what do you do to your fan base? And – I would argue that if the Eagles are winning 11 games next season with Deshaun Watson, yes, there will be people that won't be on board. But we saw it with Adubo Herrera, and that's a different situation. I get it. But winning cures everything. I, we saw it with Michael Vick. And this isn't the same thing. This is different. But still, people, if you win, not everybody, but a lot of people will forgive you, especially in this town. With the Eagles, and especially if Jalen doesn't turn out to be your guy, if you're sitting here at midseason or, or at the end and saying, "Boy, he, you know, he, he's not our guy going but, forward," you're going to use those three draft picks to get somebody. Well, yeah, whether but, whether it's Deshaun, you know, well, who else is there? Well, it could be Russell Wilson could be available at the end of the year. Uh, yeah, okay. Aaron Rodgers yeah. could be available. I mean, look, no, yeah, I, but you're not getting Aaron Rodgers. You're not. Getting, I mean, we can't have pipe dreams here. We can't have. You know, and and Russell Wilson's like 31, 32, whatever he is. And I'm not saying that means he can't play quarterback. Here's a 24-year-old guy who, you know, supposedly has probably 10 really good years ahead of him. Uh, it is a different kind of equation. I mean, if the Eagles went out and got Aaron Rodgers at 39, I mean, I don't know what that does. I, for you to give up to give up what you're going to I'm, I'm talking about there might right. be a quarterback next year. You know there's going to be one or two quarterbacks who are going to emerge by October who everybody's going to say, hey, he's the number one pick, he's the number two pick, and the Eagles might use their, their collateral to try to move up 
to get that guy. Well, that, that's what and, I see. And, and Mike, of- and Mike, I think where I'm at is the outrage I would feel if they did this would be would be in the area of you know they. they they got these three draft picks, and it's great to go get them for uh, to use them for a trade and everything. But ultimately, it's like you have to kind of give Hertz because of the way you drafted him. You got to give him a shot here. You do. If you've committed to trading Wentz, like I almost feel like they're uh, the outrage look is on the moral issue. And and by the way, if the Eagles do trade and Deshaun Watson is guilty of this. Like, I don't ever want to hear from them how progressive they are as an organization about different issues because you kind of prove that you're, you're, you're going to be throwing that out the window. Well, first of all, if it ever goes to trial and he's found guilty, he's gone they to jail. Mess off. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't matter at that point. The, the, the thing that would happen is if he, if he paid out a settlement to a lot of these women and it kind of went away without going to trial. I don't know what's going to happen. I have no clue. But I can guarantee you there will be other teams. You can't win in the NFL without a quarterback. No, I get that. I don't think Jalen Hurts is that guy. I could be wrong. And And I'm not sold on that either, but I think you have to – you've kind of committed because you've already taken on $30 million in dead cap by trading the guy you thought was their franchise quarterback to keep this guy around. But if Houston calls you tomorrow, Kevin – and you can't say to Houston, hey, hold on a minute. Let Jalen Hurts play this season. We'll get back to you uh, after the season. You can't do that. that. That's not in the equation. And that is the way this may go down. Right. But it seems like Houston now is going to try to trade him. Yeah. Uh, I know Miami might be a destination because Miami can give a lot. And they can give Tua. They can give Tua. Yeah. Right. But, again, I, like, you know, he, this guy could be in jail. Sure. 18 months from now. I don't have any idea, but I get the feeling that if Houston called the Eagles and said, hey, those three picks and we'll do it, I think the Eagles got to sit there and think about it because you're talking about a guy who is a franchise quarterback. There ain't a whole lot of those guys out. There's only 10, 12, I don't know. I think, you know, I think, I, but I, in my own opinion, and this is just my opinion, my opinion would be the pass. And, and, and then the Eagles should come out and say that. Yeah, I know. Then the Eagles should have a press conference tomorrow and say, we are not pursuing Deshaun Watson. They haven't done that. No. And I don't think they're going to do no, I don't that. Think so. they because I either. think in their minds, it's they an option. don't think Jalen Hurts is good enough. Then why did you do that? And they're the ones that Jalen Hurts, which yeah. precipitated All the whole crap. Clarkson Wentz thing. Yep. So, you know. But And Carson Wentz, by the way, is going to have a good year. I'm not saying he's going to be in the MVP conversation. I, I don't mean that. But I have little doubt that Carson Wentz, the, the Colts are probably going to make the playoffs. He's going to have a good year playing for Frank Reich, unless the pressure gets to him. Yeah. The pressure gets to him, well, it, but they have a good team, and that will just compound the misery for, yeah. for Eagle fans. But – like I said, they, they created the situation. Well, no, they didn't really create it. Carson Wentz created the situation by being a turtle and being a baby and playing like the worst quarterback in the league last year um, and then get taking his, his ball and going to Indianapolis. Right. So, but at some point, I think after this year, the Eagles are going to be looking for a quarterback. Yeah. My opinion, I hope I'm wrong. I hope Jalen Hurts 
plays well enough that they can sit there and say, okay, we can use these three draft picks to help put together a team. Right. Of course, that's assuming that, that Howie Roseman can draft, which, you know, the jury's still kind of out on that. Um, so we'll see. Uh, but this ain't going – I mean, do you think Deshaun's going to be traded before the year? Yeah, I do. Starts? Yep. Okay. Um, and who do you think – I mean, are the Eagles going to be in the conversation? Yep. Especially because they're an NFC team? Yep. And who else? The Dolphins? Wouldn't surprise me. New England eventually got involved. Um, New England? Okay. Um, but there's but teams that need no, quarterbacks. No, no, no. But New England just drafted a guy, right? Yeah, Mac Jones. Well, I mean, they they, they took a – well, okay. He was, uh, they took he was, a first round. They took him later in the first round. I hear you. Um, well, Mac Let Jones me put it this way. Deshaun Watson, well, Mac, Mac Jones, Jones would have to be Jones. part of the trade going to Houston. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, uh, and they just, they do have Cam. Right. They have Cam sitting there just in case, right? Yep. Let me uh, run a couple other quick items by you. Forget. We'll we'll talk Eagles next week a little more. Um, so we get towards real football in the middle of September. Um, by the way, Kevin, I'm going to violate your rights six one. Okay. And I'm just saying it's yeah, man. <laughs> and and it, it, this is what frustrates me about the Phillies. I get it. They're. I told you before the season, I didn't want to see any more of Vinny. I was through with Vinny. I'm done with And then he has a couple stretches where, you know, he was he was okay. And then he became Vinny. How can you as a team go out with these two guys as your four and five? And Howard is your well, six, I guess. Well, and this is and why and this is why he's not going to be the four or the five if the Anderson trade comes through. So Yeah, I know, Kevin, uh, but it just frustrates me because I've seen Vinny for six years now. Uh-huh. God. All right. But he had bullets. He had bullets left in his gun on Sunday, right? Saturday. Saturday. I'm sorry. That's right. Saturday, Saturday which <laughs> caused the press box reaction from me that I haven't done in years, which is, "Are you bleeping me?" As I took my headphones off and got off the Zoom call. Um, there you go. The uh, let me let me ask. All right, Ben Sim. The, the NBA draft is uh, is Thursday night. Um. Ben Simmons status. Will it be any clearer by the time we get to Friday? I doubt it. I mean, I, 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 I mean, look, I think the thing's probably going to drag out because most things do. That's just the way mm-hmm. it is. You know, things don't happen. Doesn't, it doesn't help when one of the players that he's going to be rumored to be traded for or is considered being traded for is playing half a world away right now. So, yeah, but I, I just think that when you're trying to deal big names like this, I just think it takes more time. Mm-hmm. I, I could be wrong. And, and I like the Sixers, I, I mean, it's obvious the Sixers kind of want to move them. Yeah. I, you would think from all the reports you read and stuff like that. And I think it's almost getting to be like a Carson Wentz kind of thing. Not not that Ben is asked out or anything like that. No, but the train but, is pulling out of the station here. You well, can feel you it. bring him back. Like, like that was my thing with Carson Wentz. Like, if you wanted to play hardball with Carson, say, hey, Carson, we ain't trading you. Ball's in your court now. You decide what you want to do. And if he had come back, like, what kind of a situation is that? I, I just – I don't know. Um, so, if Ben Simmons comes back, you know how this town is. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just don't know if it can work. It, it might be at the point where it can't work. Um, so, then, you know – but you got to get something. You got you can't. You got to make sure you get something. Yeah. And I know who they would like to get. 
but I don't think they're going to get either of those two guys. Well, or Beal. I don't think so. Now, they could work out some kind of a nine-way trade where maybe that happens. Uh, yeah, I don't see them getting Beal. Um, I don't see him getting either one, but that's me. I could see them getting Lillard. No, because I think Lillard. I think I think. Look, I'm not going to say it can't happen because anything can happen. But I, I I just don't see what Portland. Well, maybe I'm wrong. I, you know, and, and I think the problem too is, and I know you got to trade if they if they're going to give you Lillard, you have to make the trade. But if you give up Ben and Maxi and right. Thibel and a draft pick. Well, pretty soon you don't have a team. Right. I, I know you have two great players and a, and a third really good player, and, but at some point, you know, you got to put a team out there, and I guess you could, but I don't know. It's, we'll uh, see. Well, I mean, look, they're going to have to be active in some form. There's talk of Kyle Lowry being in here. If they decide they want to keep Simmons so they could put Lowry at the point, and kind of force Simmons into a role where he becomes like a four. That, that ain't going to work. No, it ain't. Simmons is not a – Simmons sees himself as a point guard. Yeah. He's not going to become a point forward or – or because all he's going to do is go off in the corner and do nothing. Yeah. And, and that ain't it's the work. same issues. It's the same issues. You're it's right. the same issues. It doesn't change a thing except it takes away from what Ben does do well – for, for for at least it, you know until you get to the fourth quarter of a seven game playoff series yeah um but and and Lowry's old man I mean I I like Kyle Lowry I'm not knocking Kyle Lowry but at some point do you really want to be bringing guys in that may only have a year left yeah, or, or are the Sixers that close to winning a title no do we think no I mean, I mean if you look at this honestly and okay the Nets have their core for two more years mm-hmm. okay. They're the best team in the East. They 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 came within a toenail of winning it anyway. Mm-hmm. They the Milwaukee. Now I'm not saying you know maybe Milwaukee had their shot like Toronto had his shot two years ago, but Milwaukee does bring back Giannis. He's 26 years old or whatever he is. Uh, in Miami, you know, you look at Miami sometimes. They got a really good coach. They got they got some young players. They got Jimmy. It, it, it's not going to be easy for the Sixers to finish one or two in the East next year. And, of course, the third seed was the team that won the, the title. LeBron's going to be back. Hopefully, you know, I mean, the West is going to be what the West is. I don't know, man. I mean, I look at the Sixers and I'm like, are, are they really – I think they missed their window, Kevin. I really yeah. do. I think this was the year that if everything broke right for them, the Nets lost, all they had to do was beat Atlanta. The worst they would have been was with Milwaukee. And I think, well, I think Milwaukee was the better team, yes. The, especially the way Ben was playing and the fact that Danny Green. But this was their chance yeah. to to get to the final. And who knows when you get to the final. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they might not have beat Phoenix. They probably, yeah, they're not better than Phoenix. But th- this was their, this, they had an opening this year. And I don't know if that opening is going to be there next year or the year after. And at some point, Joel, you start to worry about him a little bit. So. Uh, a couple other quick hit topics here. Um, Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC. Um, how does this shake up the college football world? Besides college the- football, college athletics, as we know it, first of all, are never going to be the same 
because the Alabama quarterback already has like a million dollars right. in endorsement, and he hasn't taken a snap yet. Or, you know, uh, it, it, it's what we all thought is going to happen. We just didn't know when or how. But the, you're going to have the SEC is going to become this mega, mega thing. Whether it happens now or in three years or whatever, however long it's going to take for Texas and Oklahoma to get there. Geography, I mean, the Big 12 might as well fold up shit because I don't know what you do if you're the Big 12. Right. You know, West Virginia now wants out, but the only place that makes sense for them is the ACC, and we're not sure. You know, now I read a story that maybe the SEC and the SEC merge. Now, I don't know what that does for the SEC other than getting Clemson, uh, but the Pac-12 is already sort of like – Making rumors you know, about the Big 12. Maybe join the Big Ten. Yeah, well, only half the conference. So they were only talking about taking the the West, um, which leaves Arizona and Arizona State out. Which half the people in Ohio moved to Arizona. It, it, the whole thing is it's because everybody's trying to catch the SEC. Now you can look at it a couple ways. If Oklahoma, te- like, yes, it makes you a mega conference, but does it hurt your chances? Like in the college football, like. Is it going to hurt the team's chances of going unbeaten or getting? I don't know. Because if this 12-team playoff goes through, which apparently it looks like it's going to, like, does that mean like four SEC teams could make the playoffs? I, I suppose they could. I, I don't know. And if you take Ohio State out of the Big Ten, what is the Big Ten? Nothing right you know, Michigan, now. Michigan stinks. Penn State hasn't been good. I mean, they've had their moments, but. Wisconsin sometimes can be good. Michigan State was good three or four years ago. They had a couple good seasons. But the Big Ten is basically, it's kind of like the ACC. Mm-hmm. It's Ohio State and everybody else, and the ACC is Clemson and everybody else. And then in football, um, there's and in football there's the elephant in the room, which is Notre Dame. and Nobody knows what that I mean. They say they want to stay independent. Well, okay, fine. But and the thing about it this way, Kevin, here's things we don't even think about. Let's say you're Kansas and you're Kansas basketball. Yeah. What happens to you? Yeah. I don't know. And, like, you know, you know, the whole Texas A&M, Texas A&M is not going to block Texas from going, you know, to the SEC. That's not going no. to happen. No. But it, it is, it, like, I, I just think we could be sitting here 10 years from now, and this whole thing could, could look well, different in ways that we can't even fathom. And it's it's easy to conceive of a notion where basically teams don't play any non non conference games. Uh, oh yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, if you're the SEC and you're going to be at sixteen, if you get Texas and Oklahoma, okay, you're going to split it up in the two conferences. Why well, take games? That's eight games right off the bat. Okay. Well, how many would they have? They'd have sixteen. What? Or do they have? They would have now? six. They would have sixteen at that point, I believe. They're at fourteen well, you, now. Well, you play seven in your. You play everybody in your in your division. That's seven, right? And then a couple crossovers. And, they, and that's nine. That still leaves you room to play two or two or three. Three leaves yeah. you room to. I mean, Alabama every year. Yeah. Usually opens up against somebody good, but what makes see to me what makes college football is obviously Auburn, Alabama. Right. Okay, and Ohio State, Michigan. It, it, that's what makes. But even play. a game like Georgia, Florida, which is not a division game per se, but I, I think they're not. No, they they are division. But yeah. like, uh, but they'll, they'll, they'll never. There's right. some, look, we've lost some games because of all this. Like Georgia used to play Clemson all the time. I'm not sure. I don't think they play Clemson all the time. Uh, things are going to. But 
to me, what always made college football too was like USC Notre Dame. That right. was, you know, you look for and when when Penn State and Florida State and Miami were all independents, you used to get a lot of those good games too. Yeah, which has kind of fallen by the way. I mean, look, we lost Pitt, Penn State in our own state, and the world keeps spinning. Everybody said, "Oh, the world's going to end." Oh, you Penn lost State Oklahoma. The, you lost Oklahoma, Nebraska, which used to be the biggest game in college football. It was the biggest game in college football almost every year, or one of them. And they don't play anymore. And they haven't played in a while. And you know what? Nobody really Nobody notices. Nobody now it. even cares yeah. because that's a generational thing. And and once the playoffs came in, it's all about the playoffs. It's all about making the playoffs. Just like in college basketball, it's all about being in that sixty-eight team field. And and that's what matters. And now that they're going to expand it to twelve, mm-hmm. you have more teams that can get in. Uh, and again, the SEC probably looks at it and says, you know what? We can get like four teams in this 12-team kind of thing. But and they probably can. But I do- usually, you know, when you go from five to ten in the final college football rankings, usually two or three of those teams are SEC teams. I do you know. Well, I do believe on the Notre Dame front, I think Notre Dame is going to be forced into something at this point. Because well, yeah, but Notre Dame might sit there and go, if there's a 12-team playoff, why do we have to join a conference? Because yeah, I always thought the only reason they would have to join a conference was just if you had four mega conferences, four 16-team conferences, and somebody said the champions of those four conferences are going to be in the playoff. That's our four teams. Well, then Notre Dame has to say, oh, okay, we have to be. But if you're Notre Dame, you can sit there and say, all we have to do is be one of the best 12 teams in the country. Yeah, but if you're not going to necessarily be able to get the non-conference games. well, the, the, the Notre Dame will schedule games, Kevin. Okay. They, they, Notre Dame is not going to be playing – uh, Poe Dunk U, 11 of the 12 weeks, trust me. They might not play as good of a schedule as some other teams, but somebody's always going to be willing to play Notre Dame. It's just it's too lucrative. They'll play, but instead right. of having maybe four games a year that you would consider to be, eh, they might only have two. But again, you know if Notre Dame goes 10-2, and two, they're in the playoffs. Yep. It, it doesn't really matter. Right. And then they'll get beat by Alabama 38-6, to six, and life will go life on. Life will go on. So, so that's it for us. I, I want to, before we go, um, you know, obviously I mentioned at the front about us having a couple weeks off because vacation schedules, also the flooding that happened here at the house. Um, so, and I wanted to kind of give. With, how are you doing with that? Uh, everything is cleared out. We're fine. Now, I, I got to, okay. I kind of have to, uh, I have to, I joke, I have to put the basement back since Hurricane Joey has blown out of here. And, uh, you know, the, the, the actual, like, did, man cave. did your neighbors get water too, Kevin? I mean, was it like, well, I mean, we had our, we had our garage completely kind of flooded. I mean, flooded being two, three inches of water. But did your neighbors all, like, did your street yeah, have it? Our like, street had because, it. Uh, yeah. A lot oh, of people okay. had it a lot worse. Um, why did, like, why didn't my street, or at least I don't think I, I didn't hear like a lot of my neighbors. Uh, I mean, right up the corner from us, you know, they, they, there's like 90 people lost their apartments, and and we we had the, the golf course next to me it was like a river, right? So it was, but but I'm just wondering, like, why your street, why that happened? Because we're street. we're a bigger hill. Oh, okay. And it kind of, I didn't realize. yeah, we're a bigger hill, and the way our drains are set up, our drains are in corners oh. of our driveways, so they're easy to get blocked up with leaves and all that and 
I didn't realize our, it. Our, ba- our backyard was a swimming pool. Um, okay. But but we're fu- uh, we didn't have any flooding here in the main cave, per se. Okay. But the laundry room had a, a little touch of water, and our garage got our garage got hit pretty good. But it was good. We got, we got to clean out the garage, which is what something we should have been doing anyway. Before yeah. but before we go, I want to um, want to say one more time, um, um, uh, and, and I haven't brought this up with Mike. Um, to send the condolences out to the family of Bill Fox. And uh, I was at the viewing on a and funeral on Thursday night into Friday. Or I'm sorry, Friday night into Saturday. Excuse me. Um, and it was beautiful because of the fact that, you know, a ton of people. I mean, Fran Dumphy was there. John Giannini was there. Um, Steve Javi was a celebrant at the funeral mass on Saturday, the NBA referee. Um, and, and, you know, obviously we all have known that Bill had been sick, uh, and the fight he had against ALS was, um, difficult. Uh, he handled it with as much grace as you possibly can. And, um, but it was just good to see some of my old judge colleagues and everybody within the Catholic league, Marty Jackson, Mark Heimerdinger, um, you know, on and on and on down the road. And so uh, I want to express my condolences again. And, and, and you know, Brent, I thought he had to get brought up here uh, at the end of this podcast since it's the first one since his passing. Go ahead, Mike. No, I, I, I knew Bill not as well as you did. And Bill knew a lot of people, obviously, because the basketball community in Philadelphia, that's the way the basketball community in Philadelphia is. And the father judge community. Yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, you never want yeah, – I would never wish ALS on anybody. Um, yeah, you think sometimes about that, like, what happened if that happened to me? Like, how would I handle it? I, I don't I, I don't ever want to have to – it's it's a horrible disease. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you, you, but you don't want to remember him. Zach, you remember him for all the other stuff. And, and, uh, and I got to admit, the, the one nice part in seeing some old classmates and people who, who were his assistants and – it is we got to and I'll say this Brendan and Brian his two sons gave eulogies um at the mass on Saturday and it was beautiful because of the fact that they talked about him as a father it wasn't basketball yeah. related it was him as a father and yeah. but, but the stories we told as when he would get mad some of the good things he would do um you know for all of us at some point that's what uh, I, I think was the best part of being around all those people that we this weekend. You know, how I, re- I remember Bill Fox is 34, 32 games in the Catholic league North <laughs> and, and judge not being able to run a play unless Bill was signaling it from, from Yankee. It, it was, the old, he it ran was the Yankee. Oh my God. Yankee was a sideline play that he would run. And like, it would like mind numb. It, but the Catholic league North was the ultimate coaches control division. Or whatever you want to. I mean, it was just yeah. like I, I just felt like the kids could, didn't play. Yeah, it was just like you know, you, you, know, you come up the court, coach. What do you want us to run? Okay, we're gonna. Yeah, you know, it, it's uh, so it didn't always appeal to me from that perspective, but that was the way they played. That was you know that was um and it worked because he was very successful. At, yeah. So, um, uh, by the way, by the way, we talked about when we had Brookie on about Trey Turner. Getting removed, and we thought, ah, trade deadline and all that. 
not that. He has COVID. Tested, tested positive for the coronavirus. But yeah. well, there was a. I was watching uh, pardon the interruption tonight. I guess because um, Kornheiser obviously is a Nationals fan, and they were actually talking about the fact that maybe Scherzer might get moved. Yeah, at the trade because he's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. Yeah, they also bought up. They also bought up Turner as as somebody who could basically. I think he said anybody but Soto was was perhaps fair game because apparently, like the Mets, you know, the Mets are taking this seriously. Not that the Phillies aren't. I don't mean it that way, but the Mets, I think, are really in. Yeah. To, to saying, hey, we we want to win this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and hey, you know what? I mean, you knew that when the owner took over. Yeah. You knew that was going to probably be the case, and they went out and got the shortstop, and he's been horrible. Uh, now the Grom's on the eye, but I. I I, I just love the people in Philadelphia. God bless us. Who all I keep hearing is the Mets stink. Okay, well the Mets stink. I'm with you. It's a bad, you know. But we're four games behind them, so yeah. and and we might catch them. Yeah, who knows? We the, the Phillies. But it isn't like it's like yeah, the Mets stink. Oh, okay. Well, what are we? Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. And the Phillies have the easiest schedule. I mean, God, somebody was saying the other night they have a stretch in September. Where they play like the Rockies, um, like like three Pirates, yeah. Rockies, and somebody else in a span of like two weeks. So you keep looking at it and saying, "Well, geez, if the Phillies can just get to September within a game or two, they should be able to do it." But it's the Phillies; they disappointed us in the past. Obviously, yeah. last year, yeah, uh, they should have made the playoffs. So we'll see. Yeah. All right. So that's it. Next week we're back normal. Uh, we're back to our once a week. Schedule. When, when are we going to Hagen's? Well, I actually mentioned I actually, we're going to be uh, talking to him about that in the uh, next. You see where I was, Sunday, right? Yes, I did. So you were at the original Chaps. Yeah, it's, I tell you, I took my family. It, it, I, I, there's actually one in Glen Burnie, which is closer to them a little bit. Yeah, that, that neighborhood's a little dicey, pal. I mean, we were there on a Saturday after or Sunday after. You know, I didn't care. You know, to be bluntly honest, if it if any. Any good sandwich shop in the middle of a strip club is fine by me. <laughs> I'm with you. But even like, you know, the restrooms and stuff. But I mean, there's a strip club next door and a strip club across the street. And, and my daughter was laughing because she's like, where'd you bring us? And I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I get it. Just, But they enjoyed the food. Food was good. Uh, but I think we'll be going to the club. I, I wanted them to see the original. And I yeah. didn't know there was one in Glen Burnie. Yeah. Because the one in, in um, Aberdeen. It's probably a lot like Paul's place. You know, it was very it modern. It, was, it is. And, and and it was funny. I went up to the guy who I think is the owner, or at least the manager, and I said to him, I said, you know, you know Paul Hagen, obviously. He goes, oh, yeah. I said, I said, well, I worked with Paul for a long, long time. And I said, yeah, he's really – and he, his face kind of lit up. Oh, yeah, he goes, Paul, good guy. And I said, yeah, you know. Um, but it was good. It's tasty, and uh, yeah. I, I enjoyed it. Yep. So – you know, hopefully we're going to enjoy it at some we point. We will be there, and we will give you, like, at least two weeks heads up to make sure you get down there so we can maybe have a work. He just meet. celebrated his first anniversary, right? I believe so. Actually, I think they're doing, like, a grand reopening this week because, obviously, with everything okay. with COVID, it had been, you know. Because when we were supposed to go last year, that's when my car got hit. Yeah. Yeah. So Fond memories of that. Yeah. Absolutely. All okay. right, Mr. Kern, I appreciate it. Okay, babe. All right. Our thanks to Bob Brookover for joining us.
I'm Mac DeGeorge, all the way from Tokyo. We'll talk to you next week. Stay safe, everybody. This is Work of the Beat. Hell, you went.